0: A woohooer! A hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, DW Void or prohibited by loss. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: I'm Vicki Fleetwood, and you're listening to the More Over
2: Rugby Podcast.
3: Good evening sports fans. This is not an official comeback, but maybe a little one just for now and we'll see how the weekend goes. This is the All Over Podcast. We are still the only rugby podcast to give you none of the news, views and opinions on any of the rugby action, uh, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at More Over Podcast, More Lover Rugby Podcast on Facebook. And all of our podcasts and back catalogue can be found on the Sports Podcast Network. Um, We're back for, as I say, one week only uh, by popular demand. And by popular demand, I mean the seven other people other than us that are in our um, rugby WhatsApp group who have been clamouring for a over podcast. And we thought, why not give the fans what they want um, and a bit of opinion on, on the World Cup. As we have found it so far through different experiences. Uh, we've had some people working there, we've had some visitors, um, we've had some people just sat on their asses not doing a goddamn thing. Um, you'll be pleased to know that this week we are, or we are, I am, uh joined by a full house of conglomerate. So we have got uh cameraman extraordinaire, uh freshly back from France, where he's been um on camera seven uh doug chinese lensman andrews how you doing mate
2: all right camera 13 actually mate um i just you know how many other podcasts out there can say that they can name every one of their listeners individually
3: (laughs) the long snapper um
2: long snapper definitely
3: In fact, they more
2: more hosts than listeners (laughs)
3: well their listeners got less if they as they've incorporated more hosts um
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> law of diminishing returns isn't it really <laughs> why do a podcast just get together and do a zoom everyone's listening
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway um i've also as you might have heard in the background there the nicest man ever to uh, appear on a Cornish rugby podcast ben eustace how you doing ben yeah pleased to be on britain's best six monthly rugby podcast Hmm. It's it's an absolute.
1: That's not pleasure. what you said in WhatsApp
2: last night.
3: I was, was going to say it's a ple- <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have convinced you to come out a podcast in retirement because you did not seem very keen last night.
2: Uh,
3: do I seem keen now?
1: Well, I've, seen more,
2: I've seen people more keen to go to bloody IKEA on a Saturday.
3: <laughs> I think Ben, it's it's probably more to do with the the fact that. You, you've may or have foreseen where this podcast may end up um but we will do our best to, I've seen your tweets it. for the last 18 months
1: mate
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still try and I still try and keep it civil but I've let's be fair I've been doing a lot um a lot of trolling on the Mallover account <laughs> recently um and it's fun it is fun did anybody see um the five meter channel today do their England? Trolling was that in the, in the in the WhatsApp as well, where they've put like ten England players on the uh, on their combined England South Africa team just to troll a load of South Africans, and it's delicious. <laughs> um Anyway, before before we move on, I, I better introduce the housewife's favourite because that's who everyone's here to see as well. Freshly back from Marseille, um, where he's been sunning himself uh, on the south of France. How you doing, uh, Phil Farmvat?
4: Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm glad everybody's here to see me on this audio podcast. Um, They're going to be a bit disappointed,
3: aren't they? Uh, I could take some photos, mate. It's not a problem. We can share. We can share all those. (laughs) Were Um, you
2: actually in Marseille, Phil? I was. Yeah. Oh, mate, you should have said. If I, I had no idea. I could have directed you towards Cassis, and you'd have had a much better time.
4: I had a pretty good time.
2: Well, I'm sure you did, but that place is. Probably one of my favourite places in Europe. So there you go.
3: So let, let's let's get on to some rugby chat before, you know, this free Zoom ends because I'm not paying for it. Um, Phil, you've been there as a fan, this Rugby World Cup, a couple of times, a couple of separate trips, more money than cents, some might say. How um, have you found it?
4: Yeah, um, I suppose the first thing to say is, The reason I could go a couple of times is because I bought the tickets three years ago when the draw was made um, and paid for them then, which meant that I didn't have to tell my wife why I I was spending so much money now. Um, So, yeah, went out for England, Argentina and Scotland, South Africa. And to be fair, Marseille is an absolutely lovely city. Lots to see, really nice people. My expectations were, were kind of tarnished by the England game in the Euros where the the Russian Ultras came in and there was all the big riots and I was expecting it to be a bit fruity. None of that at all. Um, Cracking city, well worth a a trip. The organisation of the World Cup, however, was an absolute shit show. Uh, So they've known for a long time there's going to be 60,000 people turning up in Marseille for two separate nights next to each other Two entrances to the stadium, a north and a south. All of the roads run along the south side. No signs anywhere. You've got 60,000 people trying to get through 10 turnstiles. And
3: they're all in bloody Um, French. (laughs) uh,
4: Yeah, Fortunately, I was there with my friend who who knew that there was a north entrance. So we we took a a few little back roads, got to the north entrance 40 minutes before kickoff. There are 12 people there on turnstiles waiting to, or mocked up turnstiles waiting to scan tickets and not a single person going through. We literally walked straight up to them. Nobody else there, straight in through, on you go. They then have bars with one tap, four people serving. So obviously no ability to keep up with the quantity of beer being requested. Um, ran out of beer before halftime. Ran out of all official stash on the Scotland-South Africa game before the kickoff. So there's people queuing up at the official stash stands. Oh, can I get one of those t-shirts? Oh no, we haven't got any of those left. What about one of those? No, I haven't got any of those. What have you got? We've got pin badges. That was literally the only thing they had left to sell was pin badges. Um, Before kickoff. Just so, an absolute.
2: So wonderfully friendly
4: oh, oh no.
2: Oh, can I have that wonderfully one? world rugby. We, we've got some
3: of can these I... uh, world rugby cravats. <laughs> rugby World well, Cup
2: 2023 cravat and well, matching branded faded pastel colored chinos.
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. I was like can can I have can I have that one that's hung up there then please. Oh no we're not allowed to sell, sell them they're for display. What, who are you displaying them to? There's nothing to sell. Um
3: we well, displayed them to and you then, Phil. You
4: just couldn't have yeah. it. And then uh, was back there this weekend uh for the England game but uh watch the other three games from a bar, um, and yeah, completely different. Signs from a mile out telling you where to go, pushing half the people north, half the people south. Didn't run out of beer. We turned up. There was probably a thousand beers there, ready poured, ready to be handed out. About twenty people going around for each entrance with little backpacks full of beer, with little taps to top you up. Just a, a much smoother experience. But you're like, how how could they not have worked this out? before the first game it was yeah it was from the from the ridiculous to the sublime much better you experience. think they
3: were to work some of that shit out when you know marseille play at home or they have other, you know maybe have a couple yep. of france games there well, in, the, in the lead up to the tournament and go oh how are we going to make this work
2: well they, basically, wasn't... they basically kick out the the owner of the stadium
4: but it, it wasn't just that it was it was like the organization of public transport on the first weekend, there was no metro running at all. They closed it because there were too many people trying to get on. So they shut it and said, sod it, you lot can walk. And it was fine because it was only like two miles out of the middle of town. Um, but then on when we went back this weekend, there was a little stand just outside the stadium with about 200 little electric scooters and bikes. So we just went straight back out, scam on with your phone, on the scooter, cane it back to the bar, well, well in advance of the South Africa, France game.
3: Fantastic. Fantastic. It was,
4: it was was really good fun. I would recommend it.
3: I'm glad. And Doug, you were out there for the, um, for the early part on, uh, on visuals. I went out,
2: I went out early doors until uh, the group stage finished. So my last game, I think was Scotland against Ireland in Paris. Um, you mentioned great, Cassis. So- and, uh yeah. Well, we had um few days off in between finishing in, um, Nice, and going back to Toulouse. We had like five days off, and uh or four days off, whatever. I can't remember. Whatever. So, me and a pal, the the options were that. HBS, the organisers of the broadcast element of the World Cup, put on a coach to drive the five-and-a-half-hour car journey from (laughs) Nice to Toulouse, which turned into a nine-hour coach journey. Absolutely. um, At 10 o'clock in the morning after finishing our game at, I think, like 1 a.m. So me and my pal Dave decided we were going to get hire a car uh, we'd spend the night in this little sleep well sleepy little town called cassis which was beautiful um and then sort of mosey back the following day did a bit of sea fishing cliff jumping all that kind of jazz and ended up driving back dave has quite a substantially heavy left uh right foot so the drive took about four hours um and we missed out on what can only be described as one of the worst experiences in the world, according to other people. So, um, yeah. So, like I say, the social the social side of it was great. Go out, beers most nights. Um, had an, a ludicrous night out in Nice. Went way too big. Um,
3: Five pints.
2: Realised I'm in my mid-40s. Uh, the following day, uh, while I sat on the... <laughs> sat on the beach in in uh nice which is stones by the way stones it's not a beach it's stones um mortally hungover um the work I mean I think I, I mentioned to you before Russ one of the most ridiculous things I've ever experienced um in did I call you rich then
3: no you said Russ nah.
2: Okay. Uh, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever experienced at work was when in on in 2010 at the South Africa World Cup, we used to play keepy up in the car park before the games just to kill a bit of boredom. I remember this busy little twat who was a production manager running around before the game and coming to see us and shouting at us, put the ball away, put the ball away, set blatters running around. He won't want to see your dicking about in the car park with a football. It's like... What the head of world football won't want to see the people that he's paying to shoot the football actually enjoying the game of football. He'll he'll think that's abhorrent, really. The most ridiculous thing I've ever come across in work. Um
4: how, how do administrators only marginally get worse the than most of the working
2: days I had in, in France.
3: <laughs> marginally. Yeah. Okay. Uh we'll leave I mean, we'll leave that right there. You know, I,
2: I yeah, I, um, If any of the rugby brethren wanna know about, you know, what happened in in France and, and how my experience with the working side and the and the sort of inner workings of the rugby world cup, hit me up, you know where I am.
3: There we go. But if you, you never know who
2: listens to this. this. Loose lick sim ships, don't they, Russ?
3: They absolutely do. They absolutely do. Um, ben, from from the comfort of your sofa and probably a corner of the Cornishman, um, how, how have you found the Rugby World Cup so far? <clears throat> um,
1: it's almost been like a bit of a throwback, I think, because the last few World Cups, the Tier 2 nations have sort of uniformly done quite well. Well, that's my memory of it. This one seems like one from sort of 20 years ago where a few of the teams that have turned up have just got a complete assing every week, which I think is a shame. Um, you know, you've obviously got the exceptions that are all like Portugal, but, you know, your, um, your Chili's and um, Romania's, um, I'm not sure what good it's doing them. So, you know, there's a few Italy. games. Yeah, Italy. Yeah. There's a few games I haven't bothered watching just because, you know, what's the point? I you know or you gets the 28 nil after 10 minutes and there's not much point watching it um i did watch italy against new zealand because that was just just like a car crash wasn't it but um but you know dotted amongst those games there's been some real classics which has, you know been just great to watch but it's too long isn't it as well the tournament and
0: so, you know, I, I
1: wasn't well organized enough to go out to France, and probably wouldn't have done anyway. So, um, yeah, just I had I some, had I have my misses. Some beers for some games. Had some coffee, some crisps. Oh,
3: lovely. How very Parisian. Very continental. Yeah. Did you have a baguette? Dry baguette. I, think I might have had, some, had at least one ham. baguette during the tournament. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I never
2: want to see a baguette ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: my, my missus said to me. Uh, obviously, she she'd seen on on the socials that Phil was in France, and her words to me were, "How come? How come you didn't go to the Rugby World Cup in France?" And I'm like, "Are, are you fucking for real? As if you would have, as if you would have sanctioned that, would <laughs> sanction have that, <laughs> <laughs> that trip?" And she was like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, you usually do what you want anyway." Russ, like, Russ well, here yeah, making but... out
2: like he's our dumb by. I've never known a bloke less <laughs> under the thumb than Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there you every go. fucking weekend. There you go. I think, yeah, like, he's about fifty he'd rounds to, of golf a month. He'd
4: have had to swap around a golf for a trip trip to France. There's still tickets available for the semi-finals now. There a were four and a half thousand em- empty seats at the quarterfinals. Wow. I I can imagine. There's I can imagine there's
3: there's plenty there's plenty of empty seats. They they would have been filled, um, in, filled in green shirts.
4: <laughs> um, my. Uh, my 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 thoughts about some of the tier two stuff. Coming back to what Ben said, I I've watched pretty much every match. Some of those tier two games, I don't think the score accurately reflected the the gameplay. It was just a New Zealand or South Africa or whoever were were absolutely clinical. Whenever they got got a chance, they scored a try. But some of the scrums, rucks, mauls, general gameplay was was far closer than the scores allowed. Uh, other than Italy, who were just absolutely shocking, didn't really deserve to be there.
3: That's that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like, the Tier 2 nations, the, the real Tier 2 nations, and I think that we have to differentiate slightly, the likes of um, Fiji, um, Samoa were decent in parts, but the, the actual proper Tier 2 nations, your Chilis, your Uruguays, Romania... Um, they, they of Portugal. They've actually got some very decent skills. They've got some half decent little set moves. They've got some little surprises up their sleeve. What they lack is any sort of fitness and experience in playing this yeah. level. They've got yeah, the... when everyone, and, and, when and everyone the lost their minds about England beating
1: Chile. Yeah, they they conveniently forgot for the first twenty minutes it was nil nil and Fiji and Chile were playing really well. Yeah, but. They're a bunch of plumbers, so they soon ran out of gas, unfortunately. But Whey! yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, but but that's what happens. They, they they that's what's always happened. And these teams have often put up a fight. It was it um, South Africa beat someone, and they scored after like thirty seconds. And if if they get that early score, that if the if the big team gets the early score it's a procession from that minute. If the the tier two nation, I can't remember who it was. Didn't they kept France to nil-nil for 20 minutes? One of them kept, might be Uruguay. Yeah, wasn't that Euro- it, Uruguay, was it? Yeah. And they did the same to, um, someone did the same to New Zealand as well for the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. And then the class and the fitness and the, you know, just the organization shows. And that's that's always been a thing. Um, we've already mentioned the team, the team that surprised me the most with how shit they were, were, were Italy. And I don't know whether that was something to do with, um, here Crowley. Uh, I know he's left his job now. I mean, going
4: into a world cup with a, with a totally demotivated coach is not going to be the best preparation. They were is it?
3: so bad though. Like so bad he took Lamarro off in that final game against France and he just after half time. And it just, it just stank of the players just going, you're a cunt mate. We're not, we're not into this at all. And they just, they just fucked it off. Really, really frustrating. Um, but what I wanted to, to talk about briefly around the tier two nations is at what point, so we've got four groups of five teams. So we've got 20 a 20 team world cup. I know there's talk of extending that to a 24 team world cup at the next one. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but at what point do they have the world rugby and have to say, actually, we've got all of these people in one location for a fucking insane amount of time. Once the group stages are finished, why not, why not give some of these tier two nations some sort of plate competition? The stadiums are there. The people are, the people are there. Why not, you know, the ref- referees are there. Why not create a, a little plate competition that runs in line with the cup competition? Have the final on the same day, have like a double header final, all of that sort of stuff. You, In fact, you could play all of the games as double headers in that stadium. If you've got the stadium there anyway, why not?
2: Well, one one That's- thing let's not be promoting double-headers. Yeah. double headers. <laughs> yeah. Let's, promote- let's, let's just sack the double headers <laughs> off, right? <laughs>
3: okay mate yeah sorry about that two different locations um you don't want yeah. two more than two, more than one I don't game want a day. two
2: games in one place on one day because they'll you know i'll have to do two games in one day and i don't want to do that um i i i don't understand the need to expand I, I think there's not enough quality in the tournament as is there's not enough interest in the tournament as is Expanding it's just going to create a load more matches that nobody gives a shit about. <clears throat> it's not going to create better matches, is it? No. What it will do, it will guarantee that if you expand it to 24, that's what... Uh, it's be, it'd be six fours, eight, wouldn't 16, it? Eight, 16, 20, it's six groups of four, right?
3: Yeah, it'd be six fours, yeah.
2: Like Like the World Cup. Yeah. Well, um, the World
3: Cup is 32 teams now, isn't it?
2: Well, the, yeah. So six six groups of four, that guarantees that the top six make the quarterfinals. Yeah, and then the two best runners up, right? So the top eight teams in the world should yep. get through at the World Cup quarterfinals, which hasn't happened this time because well, it has, hasn't it?
3: Uh, well, technically, I suppose technically Scotland were has... the
2: only ones that missed out. Um, I just, I, I, I don't, straight, I don't right? see the benefit in doing that. What I see the benefit in is having a as things stand the, the third place teams in the pools get an automatic world cup swap right
3: uh get yeah i assume so
2: so yes why not make if that's the case then do one for the fourth place teams and the winners of that little sub tournament get a place in the world cup yeah. but just expanding it and bringing a load more shit teams in does nothing for anyone
3: well, that' because that's all it you is. Look, the, the only teams that aren't in the World Cup are the teams that are too shit to get into the World yeah. Cup. You know, it's it's the at the moment you could probably see it's the USA, Canada.
2: Um, well, and that's why they want to do it.
3: Yeah, and and while well, whilst telling Tonga that they're not going to be in the World Cup again till at least twenty thirty, which is
2: what 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 have I missed there? Well,
3: I, I thought that T- Tonga had, had there was a something about them missing out. Now until twenty thirty, whether I've read that wrong, but I didn't think that they were going to be included in the qualification. I I'll have to read back. What, on so it, they're
2: right? just what folding Tonga rugby,
3: pretty pretty much. And I'll have to check. I'm gonna have to check oh, it. That can't be right, can it? Check it in the background.
4: So uh, the way I see it, there's there's two issues there that are being conflated. One is that there's too much of a there's too much of a gap between your team's ranked 17 to 24 and your team's ranked 1 to 4 or 1 to 8, that the games just end up not being enjoyable. And then the second is how spread out the World Cup's been. Um, and I think they've got different solutions. One is the teams towards the lower end need to need to play teams above them more frequently. Teams outside the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship need to play teams in the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship more frequently um that's the only way they're going to get any better which comes back to conversations we've had before about opening up the six nations to two tiers and having promotion and relegation and giving people opportunities but also another conversations we've had before saxons saxons going on a tour of i don't know georgia romania portugal and spain in the summer would be fantastic for those nations great for the for the guys playing for the saxons would open up more opportunities for them getting to get into the next stage would be better for England rugby um and then the spread out tournament i think yeah it just needs a bit of thought you could you could take a week off that group stage with having games almost every day maybe every day without teams having to play more frequently than once every 5 days you can give them four rest days between games It it just requires a bit more thought than going, we're just going to do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and stretch it out. And then end of the group stage on the Sunday, everybody has time off till the
1: Friday, you go quarterfinals, semifinals, final.
3: Yeah. Yeah. In both both decisions.
1: So that kind of leads me to think they don't really want the sort of emerging nations to come through anyway. Um, I sort of agree with Phil. I think there should be a two-division six nations at least and what i would do is have uh, the the bottom team from the six nations play a one off playoff with the top team from the um from the from the second division probably away at the top team from the second division to give them a a good fixture well you and could do it least... you
3: could even do it like a yeah. a two legged thing couldn't you a home and away make it fair like the championship playoff used to be yeah but um i don't know for the world cup i mean if they're going
1: to have more teams in it they could almost have like a a, a pre group with all the you know teams below the top 8 have a sort of pre qualifying at, at the actual stadiums before the tournament and then it would at least stop them having the issues phil was having with the beer beer pumps and Transports so, around and stuff, they could at least use it as a sort of warm up for the stadium. And then it would at least get rid of the teams that are going to get battered 18 0 every week.
4: So, the only point I disagree with you, Ben, about um, not wanting emerging nations is there are three that they want. They want the USA, <laughs> they want Canada, and they want Germany because of the money. The rest of them they couldn't give a shit about. Uh, there is there is undertones within world rugby, and I'm sure I've heard it somewhere saying that if they were to expand the Six Nations, it wouldn't be Georgia getting in, it would be Germany. Germany are ranked 32nd in the world, but they have a lot of people there with a lot of money, and that's all world rugby give a shit about, is lining their own pockets. They don't even care about the legacy of the sport. It's about short-term
2: lining of their own pockets. Yeah. My my one question would be: What's what's in it for the big nations? And until there's something in it, it's not going to happen.
4: Sustainability
2: of the sport, but they're not interested in sustainability, mate. Because as long as they get their few fixtures a a year, they're sustainable,
4: or they perceive themselves to be sustainable.
2: Yeah, but but a fixture against Romania is not going to make them any more sustainable. Not
4: short term but longer term having better I don't competition think they're interested are, are
2: mate the, the the people that are involved are only interested in sustaining their positions for as long as they are in that position yeah i, I don't think yeah, anyone no, will be playing touch in 20 years engagement that they're involved in they benefit
3: no, the bell and had they'll it's all, me, like, it's yeah. all
2: about it, it, it it's all about Get me through today, and we'll worry about tomorrow. Then,
4: yeah, hundred percent. But that's why we're in the situation we're in now. There
2: yeah, but there's no incentive. There's no incentive to change it, mate. There's no. There is no incentive to change it. Like, we. I. I think one of the things that I didn't really consider until just now, when when it was said, was like the the play in tournament before the World Cup, play at local rugby grounds rather than these soulless football domes that we go into for every World Cup. Uh, Get these, if you want to expand the tournament, get these emerging nations. Why are we having a qualifying tournament in Dubai a year before the World Cup? Why can't we have that qualifying tournament there and then, that week before the World Cup?
4: I suppose the challenge would be for some of the poorer nations, the fact that, they need to then financially commit to being there for the main World Cup, whether they're going to make it or not.
2: But that, yeah. But again, this is something that should but, be looked at. Why these nations? Why? Why are any of these nations having to subsidize anything to do with being at a World Rugby tournament? That every everything should be covered by World Rugby. These these yeah, teams should be paying should. for their accommodation to go to a World Cup. The World Cup wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the teams. The teams should be funded to be there. I agree. It it, it just it, it the the whole thing to me just just seems like you know the the, the short term kind of uh, outlook to it all is 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 remarkable, really. But I I don't see another way around it because it, until, you're either in like, the club or you're not. Yeah, and until until there's an incentive for these larger nations to actually you know actually want these other teams to be involved. I mean, a nation like Scotland would would be crazy to actively want Germany to be good at rugby or Spain to actually grow the game and and, and get as many participants and elite-level coaching. They'd be mental to want that. Because if they lose that sort of cachet of being a tier-one nation... And and the uniqueness that comes with that, yes. Yeah, so you'll be dead. Same with Wales. That the, they should do more with the Lions as well.
1: You know, have pre, you know, have tour games that are because they're going to go. They'll probably end up playing Western Australia or someone in the on this tour that they'll beat hundred nil. They'd be better off getting Georgia to fly over or Portugal or someone and play them. Or play them on the way or something. Mm. I know they've done yeah. that a little bit on this tour already, but the more of that, the better. I mean, because the, the days of being able to go to twelve clubs in South Africa and get a good game out of them are probably over now, aren't they? So just arrange a range me, load of. You me, know. They,
3: they, they don't need a full Test match squad to beat Australia. They're fucking rancid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
3: They could play. If they, they could, could play, play Portugal. It'd
1: probably be a bad game.
3: Well, yeah, you could. You could argue. The you know, and that poison little fucking horrible little cunny is off to Japan as well now. <laughs> <he>? after de- <laughs> after after denying all knowledge of any interview pre World Cup. Um yeah. let's move. Let, let's move no, I away. Think,
2: sorry, Russ. I think we're veering into territory that we didn't want to get into on this. We wanted to talk about the World Cup.
3: Yeah,
2: I worry that we're getting into stuff that you know everyone knows our position on um I you know I'd rather just so that that's where I was
3: I was at I was gonna head us on to England and England's performance so far at the World Cup and you know how we think how we think they've done in general um do we do we think they've actually made strides forward Ben throughout the tournament I
1: think they have, because where they started was probably an a long term low, wasn't it? I thought um the performance against Argentina was excellent. Probably put in about half a good half an hour maybe against Japan that was pretty decent, but the first half was poor. Not even counting the Chile game. Um Fiji was decent in parts, but not great. Um I think there's been a lot of uh, odd selection calls. It seems mostly just to um, fit Farrell in, in some way. Um, I'm not as anti-Farrell as some people, because I think every player that has played with him rates him. But it does seem to be, you're moving a lot of people out of position just to fit one player in
3: this is the thing um, with farrell though this is the thing with farrell though isn't it right and and i don't doubt that he's a, an excellent rugby player and and i don't think any of that has ever been in question um but with with owen farrell <laughs> you have to play a certain way or you have you you have to then not accommodate other people if you're playing owen farrell owen farrell has to play at 10 has to It's proven that whilst he can play 12, England are blunt and imagine imaginationless when he plays at 12 because we're so easy to defend. Because you know the ball's going to get to Farrell and stop or get to Farrell and kick. And the problem with Owen Farrell at 12, again, is that whoever plays at 10 inside him doesn't get to run the game the 10 doesn't run the game in a way that George Ford would run a game or Marcus Smith would run a game. And the games where Marcus Smith would play 10 with Farrell outside him, he hasn't got hope because he doesn't get to make those decisions. now. And, and you know, you had
1: that, uh, you, you know, they've had the experiment with Smith and now Smith's got a concussion, so it isn't going to happen again. But New Zealand do do that. They've got Bowden Barrett at fullback, but it's completely fluid in terms of, Some probably more than half the time he stood at ten, and someone else has gone back to fullback.
3: But they 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 wanted they wanted Smith to do that, and in the first fifteen minutes, it actually it worked. I I felt like it. it, That's exactly what happened. Smith was popping up all over the place, and I and I get it. And against Fiji, sorry mate, it was it was almost the ideal time to try that because is his assumption would have been that there would have been more broken field than organized structured defense from Fiji. And I, and I, and I understand the premise of it. Um, well, I
1: could see the logic in it as well, because you had Farrell. So if Smith came in to first receiver, you had Farrell who's played a lot of 12 who could push out. Tualaghi, who's played a lot of 13 who could push out. Marchant has played a lot on the wing who could then move out and daily fitting at fullback. But I don't think English players have got the same rugby brains that New Zealand players have got to make it work. And I do, and, and I think, I, I mean, I just couldn't see the logic, as, as as I made clear in some of our conversations, because I just think play your best fullback in every game, because you should be playing your best team in every game. But I could see some logic in what they were trying. Um, but. It doesn't work for every team. Italy tried it; they moved their um, their good fullback out to the wing. We're putting Tommy Allen at fullback, and and look how that worked for them. I think New Zealand it works for them just because the, of the quality of the two players, and plus they've got an extra playmaker at the moment with um, Barrett's brother playing at twelve. You know, he's much far more of a playmaker than any center we've got. So it's almost apples and pears. Phil? Look, the To come back
4: to what Ben said, the reason we were great against Argentina is because we got backed into a corner by the early red and Ford manipulated that game in a way that, that was perfect for the occasion. We played, we played possession rugby, uh, sorry, we played territory rugby. We weren't that worried about possession. We put them down in the corners. We got them to give away penalties. We scored points and we kept that scoreboard ticking over. It was a classic... Um, it was a classic kind of old school sale performance um, or even an old school Leicester or Bath performance, to be honest. Um, but we were we were backed into a corner there. The reason we weren't very good so against Samoa was because we tried playing Ford Farrell again. But if you look at the Chile game and you look at the start, of probably the first half of the Fiji game, we had Farrell playing with quick ball going to the line, making flat passes, and it looked good and it made progress. And where we fell down in that Fiji game is we have zero confidence in ourselves and zero ability to get over from five yards out. Every time we got the ball and it got slowed down five yards out, we just kept trying one-up runners and big hits came in and we just started going backwards. Um, But actually... The, the Smith experiment worked for that game. Would it work against any of the other teams who are left in the tournament? Absolutely not. I, I cannot see it having a five-foot-eight-and-a-half fullback who w- was a very effective speed hump on sa- on Sunday in defence isn't going to work when you've got Vilemsa, De Lendy, Creel. They're, they're talking about potentially playing Moody um, on Saturday, chasing down high kicks coming towards you, he's just going to get absolutely pulverised. And the reality is, he's not going to play there anyway. But to me, there's enough green shoots there with Farrell playing ten, playing the ball fast. I would rather see Lawrence than Manu Marchant playing at thirteen. That I
1: I wouldn't write us off in the semi final. I I just don't think our pack's good enough because your your key point was the quick ball but they just don't get quick ball enough and i just think that against south africa they're just going to get beaten up there's there's we've said before uh, our resources at prop is just bare limited yeah and you know
4: bare, bare I, and not very good
1: yes exactly and and you, i think i can't remember if it, if you um said this the other day or not but I think is playing quite well now. Um, obviously Earl's been really good. Um, and, and I think Laws has has been very good as well. Um I I hate myself for saying it, but I I think they need to play Billy at eight just to have an actual number eight. Um, and it it's not in any particular sort of reflection on Billy's form, but I think whenever he's come on, they've looked a little bit more solid and, and have have a focal point um, I think care has been very good when he's come on and um, yeah I have been impressed by Marchant as well so you know some, some green shoots but I don't think they're going to be anything like enough
4: See I, I think having Billy at 8 is the kind of move we would have pulled in 2019 where we're going we're playing South Africa we have to try and match them at their game and I think it's the worst thing to do I don't I think we actually. I don't we actually. We need
3: to mind play our that. game. We. I, I agree. I don't actually mind having Billy on the bench. I, I can. I can just about. I can just about stomach that. I don't think he's got anywhere near the impact to be that that runner from the start. I think if we've got a chance, we need to have a dynamic back row and try and run him around the pitch a little bit.
1: Imagine
3: how quickly our pack's going to be going backwards in the scrums, though. Yeah, and yeah, I like. I, I get that point, but. But I, I, I don't think, I don't think Billy has that much much of an impact on that. Doug, you're quite quiet in this. What, what, what have you made of it so far from an England perspective?
2: Well, for, first and foremost, I think we're dreadful. We don't know what we are because Borthwick wants to play in a certain way, but we don't have the power, players to play in that manner. And he he seems. Reticent to actually lean into what we are at the moment, which is a team that needs to basically play South Africa like Japan did in in oh in fifteen. Yeah, we need to be quicker than them around the park. We need to move them side to side, and we need to just go. We're going to lose up front. We're going to put like this England team is so dumb. I can imagine that the first scrum that we get, we we hold the ball in the row to try and milk a penalty and we'll just get put, far, like, shoved 30 yards backwards. We're, we're that dumb and arrogant that we think, you know, we'll be able to compete with these people in the scrum. I think Borthwick is so arrogant and believes in his structures and his journey so much that he he can't see what the issues are. I I don't think Owen Farrell... I mean, I don't know what he does. I don't. I don't know what he does to 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 make himself undroppable. Because for me, we played our best rugby with in that Argentina game, and he was nowhere to be seen. Why would you go from a performance like that? You know, in a must-win game when it backs against the wall, everything's against you. Put up that performance, win a game. Admittedly, we didn't play great, but. To then go, but Owen Farrell's back now. We don't need to play like that anymore. We can, we Owen's back. Everything will be all right. Owen's back. It, it, it's madness to me. I, 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 just don't get it. But in a way, I kind of do get it because I think successive coaches have just been terrified of of what Owen Owen Farrell, like the the risk of leaving a fit Owen Farrell out and losing, and everyone going, well, you didn't play Owen Farrell because that's what we'll do, right? No one's ever going to go away. You didn't play George Ford. That's why you lost.
4: Well, Ford wasn't great in the Japan game, um, but no, I, I, I'm not to disagreeing with your your point. Ford wasn't great in the Japan game though, and I think that probably has come back to haunt him a bit. Um,
2: but look, he you but, know he has played for England. We, can... How many games for England has he played? I mean, you know, oh. we, we're expecting him to to just. Be on it! Or, or he he—he yeah. he must have known in the back of his head. Well, I'm—you know—as soon as Owen's back, I'm out. I'm
4: on borrowed yeah, time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I—I think the problem
4: is if we try to play against South Africa the way we played against Argentina, we'll lose every single part of the game.
2: My my only yeah, like I say, my concern or my my thinking is that we need to play Japan levels. Yeah. Hundred percent against South Africa. The only thing I'd say about that is that South Africa are, are miles better than they were in 2015, so that might not work either. I don't. Know. I'd, I'd, and there's I'd, no I'd, way they're going to
1: underestimate England in the way they probably did Japan.
2: No, and I, I don't think there's any way. I don't think there's any way around it. I think I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that referees are shit scared of doing anything against South Africa. I, like they're refed very differently, and I know there's been a lot of. A lot of bagging of referees in this tournament uh, uh, to to varying levels of appropriateness, maybe, but they are definitely refereed differently. They, you know, they they get away with a lot.
3: How is it? That, how is it that Ben O'Keefe can referee them in the quarterfinals and the semi-final I, and I the Ireland game? Yeah, I don't. I really, I don't get it. Did he do the Ireland South Africa game as well? Why well, it's not. Yeah, Fuck. yeah.
4: So he's, he'll have refereed them for, so which means they know how he's going to referee far better than we'll know the players because they'll have they'll have seen it and lived it and breathed it.
3: I I mean I think a lot of the a lot of the refereeing lacks consistency within the game that's actually going on, let alone across referees across different games. You know, Mate, I I, I just think that. that gets it, made...
2: The referees are fucked. They haven't got a clue what they're supposed to do. I mean, it doesn't help that Carl Dixon... Carl Dixon is objectively the worst referee I've ever seen at international level. He's absolutely atrocious.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, how that wasn't... uh, Between him and whoever his TMO was, how, how that wasn't a red card for Argentina on Saturday in the current climate. That's the other thing is around what constitutes a red card. This whole fucking bunker thing... Has been an unmitigated disaster. I think from start to finish, you've got people like Ben Shitehouse and you know interjecting themselves into into pieces of the game. Well, this is
2: it, isn't it? There's there's no consistency over the levels to which these guys are in, interrupting the game, and that you know there's there's just so much. Oh God, it's hard to talk about rugby without just getting on his back in it because yeah. it's fucked. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, really, really, really hard. hard. So, how do we, how do we see it going at the weekend? Two semi-finals: New Zealand, Argentina. One-way traffic.
0: Hmm.
2: I think New
4: Zealand. I think I think New Zealand will win it comfortably. They've stuck out their with what is that without a doubt their best side. And I think they win it relatively comfortably, somewhere between, I don't know, 12 and 20 points. But I don't think it'll be a walkover.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. I think think 12 points is probably about the right point. Um, I thought they played really well against Wales. I was really impressed with Kramer. I thought he was brilliant. Um, But New Zealand, I mean, the breakdown what they did to Ireland at the breakdown was so so impressive and, you know, Kane and Surveyor and and everyone else that was involved in that and it, it's kind of unbelievable going into a World Cup and no one was talking about New Zealand at all and it yeah. it was interesting when um, Ireland beat South Africa directly after the game. Brian O'Driscoll said a few times he really didn't fancy New Zealand in the quarterfinals and um, that sort of that came true. Um, so I think they've got to be heavy favourites. And yeah, like Phil said, 12, 12 to 16, I would say might be the, the right call there.
3: Can we talk, can we talk about that quarterfinal briefly, the New Zealand Island one, because, you know, not many things have pleased me more <laughs> in rugby <laughs> in, in the last 15 years. Um, I don't think any, any other team could have, could have done to Ireland what New Zealand did on on Saturday, just out out of nowhere. Like you already alluded to it, Ben. The way the way they approached the breakdown was f- amazing. It was so well Tarnished, thought out. It? it was, and it, and it was, you know, and it was also nice. And you know, our our um, Emerald Isle counterparts will probably disagree. I thought it was the best refereed game of the tournament. And that's not just because it was Wayne Barnes and an Englishman and Ireland losing. He actually refereed things properly with consistency. That might not have always been the right decision, but it was a consistent decision throughout the match. And he let things go Mm. in the breakdown. He let elements of, um, you know, what may be perceived as minimal release into the tackle before going in for the ball. But that was consistent throughout the game. And that's all yeah, I everybody think really
4: wants. It's it, there there have been a couple of other really good performances that we should probably highlight if I could remember what they are. So I don't I don't want to say every <laughs> other game's crap. I think I think I think Pierce has generally been pretty good. Um and there was another couple of games that I thought actually the ref did a really good job there. The the standout was the fact that he, he appeared to be refereeing faults that have been obvious to the rest of us for years particularly well so um Porter's inability to to scrum straight and I know that Alex Corbusier has put out a video saying that he thinks Barnes got one of them wrong but I mean the guy's hips are 18 inches away from the hooker every single scrum
3: well,
0: which is a straight up in
4: the match so. one there well and
3: that, yeah that was
4: medical a, which is which is also part of the reason why I don't think not having Billy matters we just need to keep the number of scrums down um but uh eighteen inches away from his hooker every single time and he's never been pinged for it. But also things like the some of the tactics that the Irish use around the rocks that that ordinarily they'd get away with and they didn't. Um I agree with Ben, I thought Kane was excellent, but also so was um Surveyor. And I, I think that's it.
2: that you know, we haven't really got onto Ireland because I don't think any of us could speak to it for any length of time without Right. One laughing, and two getting extremely negative. But I think that's why I think a lot of the Irish vitriol is so funny because they've they've just been refed properly for the first time in about four years, yeah. and they've got the ump about it. But Barnes Barnes just told him "I'm not putting up with your bullshit." Yeah. it was great, and they didn't like it, and it was it was great watching was Johnny
3: great. watching Johnny Sexton flap his arms about like a fucking seagull every time he <laughs> was anywhere near the floor. It, you know, people go on about, and I, and I've said this a lot. People go on a lot about Owen Farrell and his conduct in general. On even on Sunday, some of the Twitter stuff. Oh, Owen Farrell trying to referee the game. Owen Farrell this. Owen Farrell that. When Ireland play, not one. Cunt on Twitter mentions anything about Johnny Sexton. Similarly, damn Bigger. And they are... If Farrell had done what Josh Adams did yep, on Saturday, yeah, Twitter
1: yeah. would have exploded.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and for the record, there was absolutely nothing in that whatsoever. And they should have all have just got on with it and gone, you stop being a prick. You shouldn't have done that. Stop being a prick. Get up. He didn't hurt you. Let's get on with it. But you're right. If that was Owen Farrell, the world would have lost its collective mind. But Johnny Sexton could swan around doing exactly what he wants. And I think the rugby world would be a better place without him. Quite frankly.
1: Can, can, can <laughs> I shock you? I like. <laughs> I I quite like Ireland, despite what Russ is gonna say later. Um I think it I think I, I think the view of a lot of people has been clouded by on all teams by rugby Twitter. Just think rugby Twitter is just a sewer and it's probably about 40 idiots from each country that are just putting everyone off. Um, Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you I think, can't
2: blame like, me for it anymore. I'm not on there.
1: Yeah, Nor been will I ever Island be again team. because Twitter
2: have just started charging people to use yeah. it. Yeah,
1: I think, it, I think it has been a, a great Ireland team and um, they've put in some great performances over the last few years. Um, and the, the one player I did want to say who's put in an absolute shift for the whole tournament is Bundiaki. Um he he was just great every time I saw him and he he really didn't serve to be on the losing team. Um but New Zealand just did a number on him and um they were definitely deserved winners in that game.
3: Yeah, good. Bye island, number one in the world. What?
2: <laughs> Ciao, baby. Oh. No anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh notice though one one of the, the funniest things Ireland 99% of Ireland fans have wanked on for f- however long they've been world number one. The minute they lose a game and drop to number three, our uh, world rankings are a load of shit anyway. What a load of rubbish. Hiss <laughs> off. Oh, there you go. Um fire so England South Africa Saturday. Do we have do we have a chance?
2: No, no.
3: Yeah,
1: we've
4: got a chance. I I don't think we'll win, but we've got a chance. It's a small. I think we've probably a small got
3: small chance. I think we've what probably we got more off? of a
4: chance than Argentina have. Be
3: at eight o'clock. Oh, 8 o'clock. Yeah.
2: I I'll, I'll be having dinner with Matt.
3: Will you? Oh, yeah. look at that. That'd be delicious. The pair of you. I would like some nice photographs.
4: Um, you don't have to. You don't have to say that in front of Ben. Get all upset.
3: (laughs) Um, What I will say is, of all the games throughout this World Cup, that first half of rugby on Sunday was probably the best I've watched for quite a considerable amount of time. It was exceptional. And you just got to take your hat off. And and raise a glass to to that to that half of rugby, and even the second half was very good in a different way, not as extravagant, not as open. Um, obviously, both teams knew what was at stake, but that just some of the stuff that was played in that first half was was electric. And a, you know, fair play. How do you and, feel
2: about that Colby charge down? Because to me, perfect. He went early.
3: I don't think he went early. They, no. they say they say as soon as the kicker make once he's placed planted his feet, the first move and they say that he that breathed in and his chest went up, and that is classed as a movement, and that's when he went. But if
4: you if you look on the wider angle, when he did that, his left foot also lifts up, and then he puts it back down again to to make his approach. On the wider angle,
2: timing was spot on. I, mean, I don't think enough's been made about the fact that that effectively won the game.
3: In in a points differential, it did. France had uh, plenty of other opportunities to 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 do things uh, differently in that match.
4: Ramos missed another couple of kicks as well, didn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Someone so. someone said on Twitter they'd already nearly charged down the conversion before.
4: Yeah, Reinach uh, went for it.
1: Rein, Reinach got pretty close. They, they, they had prepared for that game and and a couple of their tries came off uh dropped high balls as well, so, which is something we're gonna have to look out for. Um they're, they're, they've done a lot of prep on a lot, a lot of teams. I think, much as much as we dislike Rassie, I think they, they are pretty good at
2: identifying areas to attack. Yeah. Areas to attack this England team, everywhere. <laughs> all, keep, all, all of just, it. Just all Just keep of the them. ball on, just on just the yeah. pitch. Yeah, I think you know it's going to be difficult because I think the thing that will wind me up the most if I were to watch it, which I probably won't would be Joe Marler's i don't really give a fuck look when we get pumped by 40 points he was dog
3: shit when he came on on sunday as well it, it actually the, for england when they when they started shipping points they, they conceded those two tries in in 5 or 6 minutes and they were rocking they were they were on mm-hmm. the ropes and it kind of coincided with with marler's appearance on the pitch marler and sinkler um and it was nothing to do with the scrum but it just yeah, I don't know. Andy Good was onto something. Just you see him and him and uh, and you won't hear me say that often. Um, Marla and Good had a little spat on Twitter, didn't they? So
2: did they? Because
3: Good called yeah. him out. Good called him out for saying basically you're lazy and weren't very good.
4: Um, Sinclair's so. an absolute waste of food.
2: And what, right, I, what, what was it? There, what, what was the uh, reply from? Uh... Do,
3: do you want? Do you want two tickets to the semi final, mate? <laughs> so,
2: what a cunt!
3: What a cunt! There we go. Anyway, that's that's kind of the end of this episode. Um, we may or may not be back at I- any period of time, um, between now and, and the end of time. So, I just want to leave you very, very quickly with, with a few words. Um, I'll start with Gordon Darcy, Mrs. Brown, Niall Horan, Roy Keane, Martin McGuinness, Jerry Adams, Jamie Dornan. Feel free to chip in, lads, if you've got any other Irish people you want to mention.
2: St. Terry Patrick, Wogan.
3: Terry Wogan, Eamon Holmes. The Edge. The Edge. Bono. Louis Walsh, Laura Whitmore, um, George Best, Enya. Your boys took one hell of a beating. (laughs) Yeah, Andy Tug, all these non Irish Irish people. Your boys took one hell of a beating. And you are not in the World Cup semi final. So, Martin Brennan. Who's Martin Brennan, mate?
2: The Alan Partridge look alike from. (laughs) who the
1: hell is that
2: (laughs) Eddie Jordan
3: (laughs) oh there's fucking loads I wish I could just keep (laughs) forever every single one of them Liam Neeson you've been taken out of the World Cup James Joyce Colin Farrell Van Morrison Brendan Gleeson, (laughs) Sinead O'Connor, Will Grigg, Kenneth Branagh. You can all just get in the fucking bin. (laughs) Bye now. The cause. Oh yeah, I forgot about the cause. Stephen Gately, Ronan Keaton, (laughs) Bewitched, all of you. Anyway, go well.